Good morning. Will you guys stand up with us? And 
take me home What joy shall fill my heart And I shall bow In humble adoration And there proclaim My God, how great Thou art Good morning. Welcome to Cross Point. Today we're going to hear a, a, a story, a, the true story, about a father who was willing to sacrifice his one and only son because uh, in obedience to what God has told him to and how God intervened. And because of this faithfulness and, and God intervened and, and he provided a sacrifice uh, for that son instead of sacrificing that son. And then we fast forward to uh, this Savior that we're singing about right now, Jesus Christ, God's own son, who he would so freely give and provide for us. Amazing love, right? Amazing grace. God would give his son for us that we could be called children of God if we put our faith in him. Amen. Oh, how wonderful the Father's 
Your mercy. Your mercy floods our lives with kindness. Your grace is colored all we see. And you have promised not to leave. You freely give your spirit to us. So we can be sure we're sons of God. And rest in the hope of what's to come. saved us, called us blameless, guides us now and will sustain us. Oh, how wonderful the Father's love. Those sufferings, those sufferings, they fill our lives. We're confident, we're heirs of Christ, and so we cry, Abba, Father. of Christ, and so we cry, Abba, Father, how wonderful the Father's love, the Father's love for us, that He would send His only Son to come and rescue us, how wonderful the Father's love, the Father's love for us, that He would send His only Son Pleasing to your heart, oh God. 
Savior. Father, that is our prayer as we, uh, as we give financially, Lord, as we take an offering. God, far more than just a financial offering, Lord, we offer up ourselves, our lives to you. We look at Romans 12 and say we want to be a living sacrifice for you 24-7, 365, God, including our money, including our time, including our relationships, including our private life, including our our work life when we're at school. And everywhere in between, God, we want our life to please you. We want to live worthy of the calling that you have in our lives. And and God, I pray that in in the giving that we, we do this morning, that it would be for your glory and not for ours, that we would take a step of faith and trust in you. God, I pray that what is given here would be used for your kingdom's work. It'd be used so the good news could expand, so more people could come to know you as Lord and Savior, so the nations could be reached, and so that our local context and local households and local people could be reached. Father, we love you. We thank you that you first loved us, and we give in response to that love. We give in response to this invitation you have on our lives to join you on this mission worldwide a mission to seek and save that which is lost. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
You are the source. You are the source of life. I can't be left behind. No one else will do. I will take hold of you. You are the source. You are the source of life. I can't be left behind. No one else will do. I will take hold of you. Cause I need you, Jesus, to come to my rest.
other name by which we may be saved other than the name of Jesus, your son who you gave freely for us as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Lord, no other sacrifice is sufficient. Save him alone. And God, he saves us alone. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, Crosspoint. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're thankful that you're with us. Three Sundays left for Operation Christmas Child to bring in items to pack those shoe boxes. So let's watch this video. My name is Nanor, and I was raised in a Middle Eastern country. I was raised in a loving family and a Christian home. The first year of my life, we were in a bomb shelter with 300 other people, two candles, and three bathrooms with no water. One year later, we moved to a small village. In this village, I remember being surrounded by orphans from the war. All of a sudden, in 1995, we received the most wonderful shoeboxes that brought hope in the worst times of the war. This shoebox that I received had the most wonderful gift in it, a picture and a letter from a girl in Enon, Ohio. What the shoebox told me was that there was a girl who didn't even know me and cared about me. Years later, I understood that's grace, undeserved love, that God loves us even when we don't deserve it. My very wish, my hope right now is for all Middle Eastern children who are surviving through the worst times of the war, get these shoe boxes. My wish for them is they receive the same joy, the same gift that I received years ago in my small village. Thank you. Shunar Galim. So Sun Chasers will be packing them up on November 15th. If you pack your own shoe box, you can. Bring that on the 22nd. So three Sundays left, so we need lots of items so those kids can pack lots of shoeboxes on the 15th. I want to share with you some Crosspoint family news. Congratulations to Cody and Paige Wood, Paige Reuter, and Cody Wood got married yesterday, and so they're off on their honeymoon, so be praying for them just in the weeks and months and years to come that their uh, marriage would honor and glorify God and that uh, the Lord would continue to draw them closer to one another. Uh, Spring break 2016, we are taking a missions trip down to Reynosa, Mexico to serve alongside Isaiah 55 Ministries. Darren and Jane Freidinger are cross-pointers who we support and, um, uh, through prayer and financial support down there. They're on staff. And then Brad and Erica Lehman are also uh, in the process of raising financial support and going to go full-time with Isaiah 55. And so the last trip we took down there was 2014 spring break. And I want to read you a couple of testimonies from that tri- trip just to encourage you. The first one is this. Mission trips are not heroic times of doing something totally amazing. They turn out to be simple opportunities to step out of your comfort zone, obey God, put all your efforts into supporting the work of His missionaries. If I'm told to dig a hole, I dig a hole. Whatever I do, I have the opportunity to be a shot in the arm to these brave friends who've gone on the mission field, encouraging and energizing the ministry that they are doing. I love being part of a team that steps outside our comfort zone, to serve in something so much bigger than just our cozy little church. And then another testimony from someone who went a couple years ago. Last week was pretty much one of the best times I've ever had. I love the great times and people in Reynosa, but I hate leaving them behind. I hope I never forget the memories I have made and my prayers that my life and the lives of the people around me will be changed forever 
from this awesome experience. And so I read those just to encourage you if you're kind of uh, on the fence about whether to go or not. Uh, I've been down to Reynosa three times now on different trips. I've loved each trip for various reasons, but one of the most consistent reasons for me has been what the Lord does in my own heart while I'm there. Yes, we work. Yes, we serve. Uh, yes, we build relationships with the staff there, with the people there, uh, along with the people that, that are on your team. But it's also a time to disconnect from here and enjoy some extended time with the Lord without distraction at a different pace, at a different rhythm than we usually experience here. So I just encourage you to go. Uh, details and costs are on the blog. If you, have, uh, if you can't find that, contact the church office or Brad and Erica or myself and we'll get that, get that info to you. October 30th is the, uh, the deadline we've given to, um, to kind of raise your hand and say, all right, I'm in, so that we can uh, look at plane tickets, look at fundraising events, all those kinds of things, get, that, get those things scheduled. Last thing, last announcement. Over the past several months, lots of people, lots of new people have been attending Crosspoint. And one of the next steps for you to take is, is our Discover Crosspoint class to better understand who we are, uh, where we're going, how you can be a part of it, all those kinds of things. It's happening on November 15th. I think those details are in your program after the service. And so uh, t- by taking the class, it doesn't obligate you to become a member, but it does give you this opportunity to ask questions, better understand us as a church, meet other people. And so I'd encourage you to sign up for that after the service at Guest Connections. If you have a Bible, open it up to uh, Genesis 22. We're making our way through the book of Genesis this fall. We're in week 8 of a 13-week series. And last week we looked at the story of Abram, who was renamed Abraham later on. In Genesis 12, the Lord comes to Abraham and tells him this in the first four verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will, make you, I, will make you, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So at the time, uh, Abram had no children. And yet God, God promises that through Abraham, the Lord will make a great nation, a people who will love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, love Him supremely above all else, and that through this family, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Ultimately, that through the Messiah, through this family, the Messiah, Jesus, will come. And through Jesus, all the nations will be blessed and and that uh, salvation will flow to the nations. And then you see in Genesis 15 and 17 how the Lord continues to reaffirm this covenant that he's made with Abraham, that God will be faithful to his promise, that he will give Abraham land, blessing, and offspring. Land, blessing, and offspring. And yet the offspring doesn't happen right away. You see Abraham pray, asking God, okay, when's this son going to be born? When's this son going to be born? You, you promised, and I don't see it yet. And, and the Lord reaffirms this covenant to him in Genesis 15. He says, your, your very own son shall be your heir. And in that moment, he brings him outside underneath all the stars. And, and the Lord says to him, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So the Lord who created all the stars, who set them into, into motion and set them into place, who spoke them into existence, is the same God who then tells Abraham, your descendants will number like those stars. And Abraham responds with faith, 
Verse 6 in chapter 15 tells us, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And so the Lord sees Abraham's faith, and as a result, God says, You're in a right standing with me. You weren't in a right standing, but now you are. This is an act of grace and mercy by God because Abraham wasn't sinless. He didn't become sinless here. And that sin separated him from God, but God brought Abraham near because Abraham trusted in God. His faith was in God. He believed the Lord. He didn't just believe that there was a God, but he believed and trusted the word of the Lord and then lived and thought and acted differently because of that belief. So his faith led to actions. His faith in God wasn't just this academic exercise, but it was a faith that worked, a faith that, that moved from heart and mind to hands and feet. His faith led him away, uh, caused him to move away from his family, from all he'd ever known. His faith then moved him to trust in God's timing to produce, uh, to provide this heir. Throughout Scripture, faith and works go hand in hand. James, the half-brother of Jesus, talks about this in chapter 2 of his letter. Verses 14 through 19, James says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Faith by itself, verse 17 says again, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Belief that there is a God does not lead to saving faith because even our spiritual enemy believes that there's a God. That's what verse 19 would tell us. But when we believe in God and His Word, it leads to a faith that works. So in the example that James writes about here, it leads to a faith that, that gives generously. It, le it leads to a faith that sees a need and actually meets that need as God would give you the opportunity. It's, it, it's a faith that works. It's a faith that lives for someone besides ourselves. I don't know about you, but, but my faith in God, when it moves to action, that's when it becomes real. That's when it moves off the paper and, and into reality. That's when it moves from my mind or heart into actually action. So it's one thing for me to say, oh yeah, I believe God will, God will meet our needs as we put Him first in our, in our finances and then do nothing about it. It's another thing to actually believe that and say, you know what, now we're going to live according to that belief. And we're going to give faithfully and generously, trusting God that He is faithful. It's, an, it's one thing to believe that oh, I need to share my faith with my friend. And yeah, I need to make disciples. I need to be a witness and a, and a light to this world. I need, to, I need to speak about my faith. I need to speak about the good news. It's quite another to open up our mouth, to sit across from a friend or a family member and say, here's where, here's where I'm at with the Lord. Here's what Christ has done in my life. Here's what Christ has done in the world. It's quite another to move that to actual words. I can say that I believe that, that God created the heavens and the earth. I can say that uh, He created all of that, and yet He's also a very personal God and He saved me. It's quite another to say, 
that that God invites me to prayer and I pray. That when I pray, when I open up the word, I am living by faith. I'm having that moment where my faith is leading to actions. It's causing me to pray differently. It's causing me to, it's causing me to pray. It's causing me to open up the words, be able to hear from him. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So is your faith in God leading to works? Is it leading to actions and attitudes that were different before you knew Jesus or earlier in your walk with the Lord? Or do you say that you believe God and yet nothing really is different in your life? You're still handling your money. You're still handling your relationships, your words, your time, your approach to prayer, your approach to the word in the same way that you did before you knew Jesus. If so, you may believe that there's a God, but even the demons believe that there's a God. You're not believing yet that that God has saved you, and that God is your King and Lord, and He's at work in your life. Or, on the flip side of that, can you see progress in your faith? Can you see progress being made? Can you, can you look back at a certain time in your life and say, man, I, I'm not the same person that I was then. No, I, I, I've still got, God's still doing work in me, but I'm not the same person that I was. That evidence, that, that work, is evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. That's not a fluke. That's not because of your, your power. That's the power of God at work in you through the Holy Spirit. That's the grace of God at work in your life. That's the evidence of it. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But we see in Abraham a, a faith that led to works. It was a faith that was alive because it was trusting in the living God. Now, anyone who has followed Jesus for about a week, okay, knows that faith in God, your faith in God gets tested. That while no evil can come from a perfectly good and holy and gracious God, that sometimes God will lovingly take us through a trial to test our faith. Not because he's cruel, not because he's wicked, not because he's mean, but because in those trials, God proves to us that our faith is actually real. That our belief in God is more than just this something in our minds, but it's an anchor for our souls when maybe life feels like it's trying to toss us back and forth. And, and this anchor, and in that test, that anchor, it gets revealed. It gets exposed in a beautiful way. In both the Old Testament and New Testament, the word um, translated test, it means to prove by trial, to prove by trial. For some of you, your faith is being tested right now through cancer. You have cancer, or you have a loved one, a friend, a family member who's battling cancer, and it's testing your faith in God. What's so encouraging to me, to my own heart, is that uh, I know of at least two families in the body, the Pearsons and the Schaefers, uh, that are in that situation. And both households are clinging to the Lord in prayer, clinging to the Lord that their, their faith, that anchor is being exposed. And no, it's not all roses. And no, it's really, really hard. And sometimes they, they swing back and forth between despair and hope that, that that's just a natural swing sometimes in the midst of suffering. But overall, there's this faith in God that is only deepening in this trial. The test is proving that their faith in God is real, that their God is real and that he has not forsaken them in the midst of a suffering. So is your faith in God being tested right now? Has your faith in God been tested? 
And yet you can look back on this season and you can see that God has been faithful. That God has, has not forsaken you. For each of us, our faith has been or it is right now or it will be tested. And so we need this reminder from Genesis 22 today. We need this reminder that God is faithful and that God is good and that God has a sovereign plan even when we don't have a clue how it's going to sort out. We know that He does. What we see today in Abraham's faith is, is that it gets tested. And so in Genesis 12, God promised offspring to Abraham. God reaffirms that covenant several times over the course of years, and now 25 years have passed. 25 years from when the promise was made to when that promise is fulfilled. 25 years. I get impatient when a video doesn't upload in 25 seconds, right? It should be about three seconds, frankly, because I clicked on it. It should happen. I should be able to go to that satellite and back in about two seconds, all right? I get impatient when my kids don't automatically behave differently after one conversation, one lecture. I thought that lecture was pretty good. I thought that, that landed well. Wow, your, your behavior hasn't radically changed in one conversation as if they're robots, right? Maybe I'm the only parent. I get impatient at Six Flags, and so I buy the Flash Pass, right? Because I want to ride more and wait less. In the fall of 1999, Heather and I felt that at some point... Um, longer story than that, but it just felt like at some point the Lord would move us from, from my current job and into uh, ministry as my, as my paid vocation. It was eight years later before that happened, okay? A lot of valleys, a lot of uh, mountaintops in the course of that. That felt like a long time. That is small potatoes compared to 25 years. Some of you waited 25 plus years for something from the Lord. I know a wife who... Um, who sought the Lord, uh, prayed for her husband's salvation for 34, 35 years, and God was faithful. I know parents who have prayed for that child to, to become a Christ follower, and they've been praying for 25-plus years. And sometimes that prayer has been answered, and sometimes it has yet to be answered. And so they continue to pray. 25 years have passed. From God promising to God fulfilling that promise, God's timing was perfect, even if Abraham questioned it. But all the while, God's been faithful. His timing is perfect. His goodness has not changed. We read in Genesis 21, the first seven verses, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his uh, his son Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears me or hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God has been so good to them. He's provided to them a son. His name is Isaac. As you read these words, you can see this joy that is in their relationship in this moment, especially Sarah. God, you've been so faithful. You haven't forgotten us. You've not forsaken us. You've not abandoned us. This long-awaited son has been born. What joy and what delight as we read these words. Can you imagine how they would view this son? Isaac was God's faithfulness in the flesh. 
He was a living memorial to God's goodness and provision. Well, this, what a faith builder for this couple. What a moment for them to worship God and thank God. But then about a decade later, in chapter 22, the story takes a turn, and, and not like a slight curve, but kind of like the GPS told you at the last second to turn right, and you've got to turn right. This is when God asks, comes to them, and out of the blue, this seems to make no sense. It seems cruel and unusual, to be honest with you. It's uncomfortable to read, understanding the context. To imagine Abraham and Sarah in this moment because God asked for a special sacrifice. Listen to the first two verses of Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. I I always love Abraham's response. Here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What? Do you ever have that moment when you read Scripture and you go, what? The, your, Abraham's beloved son, the one he had waited for 25 years, the one he had enjoyed then for 10 years, God was calling Abraham to sacrifice him. This was the son that Abraham had great affection for. The Lord affirms that in that moment. For me, I have one son. I have truckloads of affection for him. Can you imagine the situation? The Lord refers to Isaac as Abraham's only son. So so why the sacrifice? Why was sacrifice worship to God? Well, we see that throughout this story. We've seen that thus far in in the book of Genesis. Think of uh, Genesis 3. An animal had to be killed to provide the animal skins for, uh, for Adam and Eve. Genesis 4, the Lord asks for an offering from Cain and Abel, and Abel brings an offering of the firstborn of his flock. After the flood went away, Noah sacrificed animals as as worship to the Lord in Genesis 8. And so sacrifice was part of the Old Testament and how the Israelites related to and worshipped God. And sacrifice extends into the New Testament and ultimately finds its climax, its culmination at what? At the cross of Christ. So then verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, and he took his hand, uh, took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. Abraham was tested by the Lord, asked to do the unthinkable here, and yet responds with faith. Verse 3 says that he arose early in the morning and began to, began to walk, began to move by faith. A quote from the uh, adult member guide for this, uh, for this week says this, it's easy to say we trust someone, but the proof of that trust is demonstrated in our obedience. It's easy to say we trust in someone. It's quite another to say, well, I trust you enough to obey you. Can you imagine the situation? This is uncomfortable to read, right, to imagine this, and yet we see in Abraham's faith, we see this deep love for Isaac. We see a deep confidence that God has not forsaken him. And God has not suddenly become a cruel and wicked God. Praise God that he, his nature and character does not change. 
Abraham's not sure how God's going to work this one out, but he trusts he will. He's trusting in God's promises, even in the test, and what we discover is that God will provide a substitute sacrifice. Verse 7, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The ram was the substitute, substitute at just the right time. God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice his own son. God always intended to provide a substitute. God's mercy and grace are on beautiful display here. We see the goodness of God at just the right time. At just the right time, the voice from heaven spoke and the ram was provided. Romans 5, 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us at just the right time. Long before we knew it was the right time, but when God knew it was the right time. God has provided a substitute for the sacrifice. This theological phrase here is substitutionary atonement. That's basically just a big way of saying Jesus took our place. Jesus took our place on the cross. That the ram took Isaac's place on the altar. Making atonement is satisfying someone or something for an offense committed. And in Leviticus 17.11, it says it's the blood that makes atonement for one's life. It's the blood that makes atonement. So no blood, no forgiveness. Covered in the blood, forgiveness. In the Old Testament, animals were sacrificed or, or they died in place of the sinner. These sacrifices, though, had to be made continually. But in the New Testament, that all changed. One life was laid down for the sake of the sinner. Jesus Christ died in our place when he was crucified on the cross. We deserve to be the ones on the cross. But he substituted himself. He died in our place. We deserve to be there because of our sinful lives, our hearts that are bent towards sin. But Christ took the punishment upon himself in our place. He substituted himself and took what we rightly deserve. His blood atone for the sin of those who trust in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
And so in the Old Testament, again, sacrifices had to be made continually. But in the New Testament, Jesus told us on the cross, it's finished. Hebrews 7.27 says, He sacrificed for their sins once for all when He offered Himself once for all. The death and blood of Jesus is enough to cover your sin. Jesus took on our sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He takes our unrighteousness, we get His righteousness by faith through grace. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus substituted Himself because He desires to remove the sin that separates us and bring us back to our Creator, back to Genesis 1 and 2, before the fall of man, the way God designed it to be in relationship, in communion. Centuries before Jesus would die on the cross, the prophet Isaiah wrote this in chapter 53, 5 and 6. He says, But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is our substitute. Jesus' blood and only His blood is what atones for or covers our sin. Each of our hearts are stained by sin. The only way to remove that stain is to place our faith and trust in Christ and what He's done for us on the cross. Just as God called Abraham uh, to trust in Him, God calls us to trust in that provision in the cross in the substitute of His Son. And we're going to jump to Hebrews 11 now, looking at uh, verses 17 through 19. It says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his own son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to, even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So by faith, Abraham, when tested, offered up Isaac. He, he obeyed God in that. Abraham knew that even if this is how God intended it to be, to, to have Isaac be born and then to die, that God would raise him from the dead. That even that when God took Abraham out underneath all those stars and told him that that all the, the descendants would, would number like the stars and that God kept reaffirming His faithfulness in all those years, Abraham didn't question that faithfulness. He trusted that, that even in the test, God's promises for offspring and for blessing would still be true. They'd still come to pass, however God sovereignly worked that out. Abraham's name shows up in the New Testament primarily because of faith. Earlier we read uh, James 2, 14 through 19, verses 17 and 18 say this again. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And then, what we didn't get to before, but we're going to get to now, is where James goes next, is to point us back to Abraham. To point us back to Abraham's life of faith and works, and how he didn't separate the two, but his faith led to works. Verses 20 through 23. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with, its, along with his works, 
and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So apart from Christ, we stand in opposition to the Lord. But through faith in Christ, we are brought near. We are friends of God, no longer enemies, but friends. In the midst of a test, Abraham trusted in God. He trusted in God's provision. You think about this situation, and Abraham had to be wondering, wait, you're asking me to sacrifice the one through whom blessing and salvation to all the nations is going to flow. The one that precedes all those stars. This doesn't seem to make sense. But we see him still obey. We see him, we see him still live by faith. Now, imagine how the disciples had to, be, had to be wondering when Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. I thought this was the Messiah. I thought this was the promised one. I thought this was the one promised since Genesis 12. What's going on? Isn't God in control here? Doesn't God know what He's doing? Doesn't the Father know what He's doing? Man, isn't that our response sometimes in the midst of a test, in the midst of a trial? I don't see how this is going to be for your glory, God. I don't see how this is how this is going to work out. I'm not sure about your ways. I'm not sure about your thoughts. I'm not sure about your timing on this one, God. And yet, on the third day, it all changed, right? He rose from the dead, and God's worldwide mission to reach the nations that began in Genesis 12, God's providential plan was just unfolding and, frankly, launching at that point at the resurrection. You read the book of Acts, and it is launching a worldwide mission. If the worship team could come back up now. The story of Abraham and Isaac shouts to us the name of Jesus. Isaac was Abraham's only son. John 3.16 tells us what? That Jesus was God's one and only son. Isaac was willing to be sacrificed. Jesus was willing to be sacrificed for the sake of others. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying, Lord, take this cup from me. Father, take this cup from me. And yet, not my will, but your will, Father. Your will be done. The wood needed for Isaac's sacrifice, Isaac carried himself. The cross where Jesus would hang and die, he carried himself to his own death. The ram that was caught in thorns, a crown of thorns is placed upon Jesus on the cross. Isaac asks, where's the lamb for the offering? And John the Baptist announces Jesus as what? Look, there's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Abraham, in response to Isaac's question about the lamb, says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. In Jesus, God has provided the substitute, the lamb who died in our place. Isaac was walking to his death. He was sure to die. And Hebrews eleven nineteen told us that figuratively, he rose from the dead. He was raised from the dead. Abraham received him back. He was on that altar. He was bound. He was about ready to be slaughtered by his dad. But God provided a substitute. He figuratively raised him from the dead. And Abraham believed that even if Isaac were to die, that God would raise him from the dead. And it was on the third day that Abraham and Isaac got to the land of Moriah where the Lord raised Isaac from the dead. And it's in Jesus that we see it's on the third day. He rose from the dead. But it wasn't a figurative resurrection. It was a bodily, physical resurrection. He was dead, and he came back to life. This is what we celebrated Easter. 
that in Christ now, because of the resurrection, we have this living hope. We have nothing to fear in death. We have a, a living hope because Jesus has risen from the dead. He's overcome the grave. He's overcome the devil's schemes. And it's this living hope in Jesus that it's, that it's an anchor for us when we're tested. So when we walk through a trial, we can walk through it in faith, knowing that God is always good and that He's eternally faithful and He's an ever-present help in our time of need. He's our cornerstone. Let's stand up and sing.
this morning. God, I, I thank you for um, the uncomfortable nature of the story of Abraham and Isaac and how it reminds us how the cross is the, le- is the furthest thing from comfortable. God, I thank you that you substituted yourself, that you took our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that we might live for you. I thank you that you are the mediator. You are the one who can bridge the gap between a holy God and an unholy people. And thank you that it's by grace, it's not by works. And God, thank you that our faith in you, it leads to works though. It leads to a life that is different. Attitudes that are different, actions that are different, that ultimately reflect you. God, I pray for those in the body who are walking through a test right now walking through a trial. God, I pray that you would be their anchor. You would be their stronghold. Lord, we thank you that you're faithful to a thousand generations. I pray that you would be their ever-present help in a time of need, that you would be near to the brokenhearted, God, and that you would see them through, that that your sovereignty, your, your goodness, your providence would be on display, even in the waiting. Waiting's hard, Lord. We thank you that you don't forsake us in that. Remind us that because of the resurrection, we have living hope. We have a hope that just does not diminish because of circumstances. Even in death, we have a living hope. Thank you that you overcame the grave. Thank you that we can celebrate the resurrection every day of the year, not just on Easter. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, If you need prayer about something, uh, feel free to catch myself, catch Eric, uh, catch somebody, uh, First Impressions volunteer. We'd love to pray with you. Meet somebody new before you leave. Ask them how how long they've been coming to Cross Point. Have a great week. God bless.